I'm Carl McCollman. I'm Cassidy Hall. I'm Kevin Johnson. And we are Encountering Silence. Okay, so this week we are back together having a conversation and I'm excited to have uh, to continue the conversation from last week. Uh, last week we really got into the discussion about silence and thinking about and reflecting about what it means for us or what it meant for us as, as children and our first experiences with silence. And I was hoping we could push the conversation a little bit further and start to talk about how that relationship evolved. So, uh, Cassidy, uh, I don't know if you want to go first or if it's Carl. I'll, I'll throw this out to either one of you, uh, whoever wants to jump in. If we could start to talk about what did silence look like as you got older, especially in their teen years, which is, is a tough time for, for all of us. What did silence begin to evolve into for you? Whoever wants to grab that first. Well, to be perfectly honest, when I reflect on my adolescent years, they weren't very silent. It was kind of a noisy time. It was a time of rock and roll, whether it was listening to popular music like Elton John or, or stuff like, like, you know, I, I, I was into the whole classic rock thing, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Genesis and Yes and bands like that. So, you know, so there was a lot of music and, and I think a lot of internal noise as well in terms of my, um, you know, adolescent angst, which I suppose, you know, everybody has, but, um, you know, a, a couple of interesting thoughts. My, um, my father was an avid sportsman, an avid hunter. And it's interesting now, you know, I've been a vegetarian for about 30 years, but but as a teenager, I used to go hunting with my dad. I never, I never killed a deer. I never shot a deer. But, um, but I certainly loved being in the woods and having those the, literally hours of oftentimes solitude. You know, he and I would take, take different stands. And um, so I would be by myself or sometimes we hunted together. But even when we hunted together, we would be quiet because we were waiting for our prey. And, um, and I think that that was a really, um, you know, this kind of a, a, an unintended consequence. You know, my father was initiating me into the world of, of hunting, and that didn't take for me. But what did take was this appreciation of intentional silence. And simply, um, simply being present with with the forest, being present with the the woods, and so you know, it wasn't a particularly religious context. Uh, it was kind of goal oriented in that we were there to hunt, we were there to you know to hopefully you know shoot a deer, but um, but then there was just kind of this this you know this gift that was given to me that I didn't even at the time, I think, fully appreciate. I think it wasn't until years later 
that I, I really began to realize how formative that experience was, only not in the way that I thought it was being formative at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's, wow, that's powerful. And it, it's interesting to hear you say that about how uh, formative, even though it was a different kind of formative, you know, the intention is different. It, it's, it's interesting to have that, so much of our lives, right? that happens. We think we're training for X and really Y is going on. Um, so it's, it's great to hear that. Now, when, um, you know, when, if we want to talk about when I was in my twenties, that was when I began to encounter silence in a specifically kind of spiritual or religious context, which of course now, um, my work is built around that. So that has become a very, very important part of my life. But I, I think that um, that the gift for me, the gift of those those Saturday afternoons spent hunting with my dad, was the gift of of uh, discovering the universality of silence. That the gift of silence isn't just a religious gift or a spiritual gift or a philosophical gift. That it that there's something uh, more universal or more more um, wide ranging than that. And I think that's why. I'm now interested in the relationship between silence and art, you know, or silence and music or, or, or silence and conservation. Uh, all of that kind of flows into the mix, even though I always go back to the relationship between silence and spirit because of the work I did later on. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that makes complete sense to me because it would seem that if it was a good spirituality a good something that was anchored in something true uh, that it would be based on actual universal principles you know it would be based on something very natural so you know to get theological for a moment I, I when I hang with the theologians they talk about and they use the technical language that grace builds on nature that it's this idea that the very natural order of things whatever you mean by God and spirit and the sacramental and everything else, has to build on that. If it's not building on that, then it's just built on castles in the sand. It's not really foundational. It's not actually getting at anything real. So I, I hear that in what you're saying, that silence has these kind of natural things. And then, of course, if you keep following that, then there's these spiritual components as well. And you can, depending upon what you're interested in, you can do either. Cassidy, does does this conversation strike you as as something connecting with you, or do you have something very different to offer about this this stage in your life? Yeah, what's interesting is you know how how Carl opened with um, you know talking about it being a uh, less quiet time in his life, um, you know, in in terms of definition of you know silence and sound. And, and internal noise. Um, I, I found in my adolescence that um, meeting silence was really of, of the existential and really um, uh, going into myself. And, you know, as we all know, the, the journey inward is the longest journey. And, you know, I found I would continue. It was a time where I would begin to go into myself. And, and I would say it was a time where I began to find silence in the solitude of my life. Um, I, I was a quiet, I was a quiet kid. Um, and, but I was also very attuned to something, something beyond me. Um, and at the time I, you know, I wasn't, 
uh, Christian. And if, for instance, on uh, at Y2K, the year 2000, right? I remember I went to bed with um, the Bible and the Quran and any other holy book I could get my hands on in my arms. And, you know, just because I was, uh, I knew there was something beyond and I didn't know what it was <laughs> or rather, great. or rather perhaps what it was for me. Right. right. So it was, um, definitely a time <laughs> where I was internally just trying to figure out so much. And, and I wouldn't say to the specifics of, you know, religion or something like that, but I would say just, uh, finding the mysterious, the silence, um, to be a place where, I knew there was mystery and I knew that, um, it was something I wanted to be in touch with, but I only met it in, in those quiet moments of, of solitude. And along with that, I mean, I was definitely an awkward kid. I was a late bloomer and I was just very, um, I had a lot of time to go into myself, you know, in, into my, into my head and into my thoughts. And it was in this solitude, I would say, where, where I began to, to keep um, developing what silence was for me and what it was. And Carl, I love what you said about silence being, you know, I, you can correct me because I, I know you use different words, but what I gathered was silence being even beyond um, religion or beliefs or faith and silence being, you know, that gives me chills to even think of it because I know exactly what you're saying and we can never describe it, right? Um, it's just such a beautiful thought. Yeah. Wow. It, and it's interesting too, because, uh, you know, as I hear Cassidy describe, it's, it's a very different feel from what Carl said. And yet, uh, it's in, uh, so always makes me smile to think of the overlaps here. You know, I feel, I, I feel like I resonate with, with both of these things. Um, it's it's funny is if if I think about what it was like as a as a teen, uh, I hear both of uh, you kind of both capture it for me, and that's why I really like it. I I almost feel like sometimes I hear you guys talk, and I feel like why do I have to say anything? You've you've said it, um, because uh, I'm uh, first off I'm with Carl. Uh, it was not a quiet time. Um, I'm a musician. Uh, at one point in time, I considered that that might be a career path for me. Uh, I did it. I'm a self-taught guitarist. I played in college. Uh, I made money doing that, and uh, I took it very seriously. I played a lot, and I thought, well, you know, in the middle of college, I was it was a possibility. I don't know how serious a possibility, but it was on the list of things I could possibly do. And, you know, I was like studio musician or something. So I everything about music, the whole spectrum, it didn't have to be classic rock. It could have been anything it could have been concert music from the 1800s. It could have been Gregorian chant. It could have been punk. I, I would just loved every aspect of music. Um, and so it was, you know, so it was loud. Um, I actually think I, I, I did some hearing damage at the time playing live and being next to uh, drum cymbals a lot and uh, not knowing that I wanted my ears to hear things later on. It makes me sad because uh, I, I know I've, I've lost some hearing because uh, when I'm in quiet spaces, there's a ringing uh, that's that that's there, and so I, it was loud. But then, what Cassidy says is absolutely true for me too. There was a existential growth, and there was uh, I swing extrovert introvert. You know, I can do hard both of those. And if I'm in the extrovert phase, I go all in. And if I'm in the introvert thing, I go all in. And there were periods of time where I just hated people, 
and <laughs> and I needed to be quiet. And I spent a lot of time alone, um, a lot of journaling, a lot of different things. And and silence, like I said in my first the first podcast where we talked about this as kids, uh, I spent a lot of time alone in in nature. And when that happened, it really did affect uh, me. Uh, I started to discover. There was something really profound, and as Cassie said, a presence there. It wasn't just me. There was a profound presence. And I'm going to bring up something now that makes me, that's going to make the two of you laugh, because you both know my aversion to the idea of mystical experience. Uh, I don't like that concept or that idea. And yet, um, uh, it was at this time, if we were going to label something mystical experience, this is where I had one. Um, <laughs> And so maybe I'm kicking hard against something I know about because it was just, it was very distracting, I think, because the focus on it the way I did was problematic, I think. But uh, I do recall it was right on the cusp here. I, I probably 13, I, I'd have to go back and do the math. I don't know exactly, but it was around the early teen years, 13. My father was studying to be a deacon in the Catholic Church and was involved with the Eucharistic ministers and all sorts of stuff. And I went with him to church one day, and he was picking up the Eucharist to go deliver it to people, and he went into the sacristy in the back, and I sat down in the pews just to—I thought, I'll, I'll say a prayer. Uh, and I really haven't talked about this too much in public to many people because it's kind of embarrassing because, uh, to be honest with you, there's not much to say other than something really weird happened that day. And I really can't describe that to too many people, and trying to describe it makes it sound— more esoteric and strange than I think I want to give attention to. <laughs> but for those people who uh, are into that thing, I guess I would say something like I saw something that day or heard something. I don't know how to describe what happened. All I can tell you is that it freaked me out. Uh, I was pretty sure I was losing my mind. Um, and I was afraid to tell anybody about it for years. And I think only a handful of people know now that, except for the people now that I've published this here, um, and so I've always said to people, that was the turning point for me where it became a real spiritual pursuit for the first time, because I, I, I was raised Catholic. I am, I've always been a practicing Catholic, still am, um, take it very seriously, but it, it, so there was something very natural about it in the beginning. This made it turn, as you said, Carl, when you turned 20, it turned into a spiritual thing. It turned into a spiritual thing that day for me. Because I think right. I've been asking the question ever since, what the hell was that? Right. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't know how to answer that question other than what Cassidy said. And I think what you said too, Carl, that it's beyond words. Uh, right. I, there's no way to describe this. Uh, but it, it really did make me feel that the world was a lot weirder than I thought it was for the very first yeah. time. Yeah. And I realized that my categories didn't make sense. And it was just really disconcerting to have that feeling early in adolescence. Kevin, help me just to kind of appreciate the phenomenology of that day. So you were in the, the nave of the church and the church, I presume, was silent. Yes. You were there by yourself. Empty. Dark. Right? Yep. Yeah. Dark, empty, silent. And you were just sang a prayer and in the midst of that this encounter yeah and actually what it, what it what it really was 
I knelt down and I said something along the lines of, and I, you know, I guess I was asking something very specific at the time. I was probably going through some kind of teenage existential worry. And I think I, and to be honest with you, who knows what it was at the time? It could have been anything, but I was basically saying, you know, I think I asked something like, I need, I need to hear from you or like, I want you to be present to me. Or it was like a request and then it was like somebody turned on all the lights and all the sound and I got presence. And then I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't really want that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, be careful what you wish for, because it, it really was like I've said to people in the past and I've, I've told spiritual directors about this and we've debated. And some people have even said, because it was so terrifying. Some people have said, well, maybe it wasn't God, you know, because it was so scary to you. Uh, I don't buy that. I really do think it, what it really was, it, it was terrifying in the sense that for the first time, it just seemed like bare presence open. It didn't right. feel evil. It didn't feel disgusting. I didn't feel like I wanted to run for the hills or vile or anything that would quote unquote feel evil. It just felt, it felt like kind of, I guess the feeling I would have, the closest feeling I ever had was when I happened to be next to um, one time when I was a kid don't ask. Uh, but I was next to a stick of dynamite when it went off and I wasn't ready for it. And it was a holy, well, my God moment, you know, like your heart stops. You think it, well, analogously I had an, oh my God moment in the pew, but it wasn't a loud noise. It was just whatever the hell that was. I mean, I still to this day, I don't know. It was vision. It was sound. It was, I saw things, I heard things. I don't know how to describe it. So Cassidy, does that in any way relate to any moments in your life story? Yeah, but again, from a from a very different angle, I would say. So in my past, I, I was an evangelical Christian. So my conversion experience um, is not quiet, you know. Um, I, I remember going to a youth conference with six to 8,000 other teenagers and it was in Salt Lake City. So, of course, we're, you know, these eager teens are all trying to convert all the Mormons and, you know, this and that, right? This evangelical conference. And at the time when I went, I, you know, to them was not a Christian and to, to the friends I was going with. And, of course, there was an altar call, right, when we were all seated, again, six to 8,000 kids, uh, teens, and it's kind of what I would imagine that feeling being when you've been dating someone for 15 years and you're like, well, I guess we have to get married now because that's just what you do. It kind of felt like that. And I remember feeling like I had to go up for the altar call. Right. Mm -hmm. And each step (laughs) felt wrong and each step felt like walking through mud. Wow. And I come back to, you know, my group, you know, crying and, you know, praising Jesus and, you know, all, all, you know, very nice things. And I was immediately filled with questions and I was immediately filled with why, you know, what did I just do? Why did I do it? And looking back upon that, I mean, that to me was, that was God in Mm. that experience, Mm. you know, the questions, because I've always been a curious person because um, God was in, in that mystery and the silence and the loneliness of that moment for me, mm. the loneliness of feeling so alone. Um, because as soon as I said these questions aloud, you know, 
I was told, oh, don't listen to that. That's of Satan. And, you know, right. Um, right. But yet to me, it was the questions that were God. To me, it was the, right. the questions and the, mis- the mystery. So very different experiences. But, but you reminded me of, of that moment. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm eager to share an interesting kind of spiritual experience, for lack of a better word, from mm. my childhood to my adolescence. But before, I want to pose another question to Cassidy. I, I love that story of finding finding God's presence in the questions. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Exactly. Um, do you, what do you, th- this is maybe a larger question, but we can start with your, with your um, moment of conversion there in Salt Lake City. Um, what do you think is the relationship between silence and questions? <laughs> Good luck with that, Cassidy. I, <laughs> I mean, 30, that's, 30 that's words a, or less. <laughs> <laughs> this is a whole separate episode, and I'm, I'm sure we could all go off on this for a while. Yeah. Right. Um, but my immediate response is that, um, you know, there's not many things that you can say silence isn't, um, especially when we're talking about the kind of silence we're talking about. Um, so, you know, my immediate response is that silence is the questions. The questions are the silence, um, and kind of looking at it like that, um, especially when you're going into the uncertainties, right? The questions that don't have answers, um, the unknown questions, the ones that lack, certainty that, that, that also to me just points directly to right. them being silence, right. Them being a place of infinite possibility of love, of, um, of purity of holiness. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think what's so spectacular about your insight, which shows me how brilliant you are, Cassidy, is that does to think that God is in the questions at that such a young age and to and to catch that when most people feel like doubting is the problem. And and yet if you get into the deep traditions, I mean Christianity specifically, but then if you each of the traditions, if you kind of unpack in these other religions, they'll point out that actually the search is God seeking us. That really what it is, is that that's, that's the funny thing. You know, Augustine makes that comment that here we are, we're looking, we're looking. And then when you realize and stumble that that desire inside of us is really God's desire for us. And, you know, that we're being invited into that conversation. And that's so, when you, when you make that a first initial kind of realization, that flips everything on your head because before you thought, oh my God, if I question, if I doubt, I must be this lousy human being, when actually it's not that at all. It's, a, it's an invitation into something deeper. And so for you to be able to have that realization at such a young age uh, is profound to me. Uh, I, I admit, I mean, at the time it was certainly not as clear, but I, I recognized that right. the 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 comfort in, in my you know, true self, which we'll eventually talk about in this podcast. Right. My true self was in the curiosity and the questions. And it's easy to say now that that was God, right? It's easy to say now that that was clarity, but it was certainly a lot more confusing when I had adults telling me otherwise and my peers telling me otherwise. Of so. course. Of course. So, I mean, 
we this is unbelievable. There's so much to unpack here. Um, I, I think we we need to. I don't know if there's a follow-up. I know, Carl, you said you wanted to say something about a quote-unquote experience, and I'll let you use that word. <laughs> Thank you. Since I used it already, the, 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 door, the, the barn door is open. But, you know, I think you might, that might be a nice place to jump in here. Well, um, forgive me for doing this, but I've actually written about this, and so I want to oh. begin by reading what I've written but then, you know, then maybe I can reflect on that a little bit. No, that makes sense. And, this, and, and once again, um, I'm just going to talk about this, this kind of graced moment that happened when I was 16 years old, and it happened at a church camp. And then I'll, I'll read this selection. It's from my book, The Aspiring Mystic. But then we'll, um, what I want to do is reflect with the two of you on on these kind of graced moments and silence and the relationship there. Okay, sounds great. So the highlight of the weekend was a Saturday night communion service. With all 100 or so of the participants present, we'd have a long, comfortable folk-style service with plenty of singing as we stood arm-in-arm swaying to the music. Although I had participated in such acoustic guitar-driven worship before, This one seemed different from the start. As we sang and eventually shared the bread and wine of Holy Communion, it seemed to me as if the entire room began to glow. Not a physical glowing as if someone had turned on additional lights, but a radiance, a presence. Words failed to describe. Slowly but suddenly and obviously things were different. Only words associated with light seemed to capture the experience, luminous, resplendent, glowing. It's as if everything, the walls of the room, the people within it, the bread and the wine being passed from hand to hand, shimmered with a light that I could still perceive even when I closed my eyes. Call it energy, perhaps. It wasn't just as if there were a non-physical light. It felt as if a new kind of love or joy had become manifest for the first time ever. I felt loved like I never had before. It seemed to me as if every person in the room became radiant with a visibly miraculous glow. Once I noticed it, I felt simply carried along by this serenity and joy that I had never felt before. It wasn't ecstasy, for I didn't feel like I left my body. Nor was it a vision, for physically things appeared just as they always had. And I should say it had nothing to do with drugs. And at a later date, I experimented with LSD and magic mushrooms, but those substances seemed pale and physically jarring in comparison to the loveliness I had known that night in Virginia when I was 16 years old. Nor was it any kind of psychological breakdown. It had no ill effect on me physically or emotionally other than to leave me with a sense of serenity and a feeling of connection to the God we were worshiping that evening. So I guess I'll stop there. Um, <clears throat> let me just add one more thing that, um, that after this, and, and you know, it's like time seemed to stand still. So we were having communion, the bread and the wine was being passed, and we were singing. And I don't remember what we were singing, but it could have been, you know, uh, 
they'll know we are Christians by our love or, you know, kumbaya or something like that. So, so it wasn't silent in any kind of external sense. But on an interior sense, there was, I think, I'm, I'm trying to just put myself back into that. And this was 40 years ago. I think there was a stillness. But it was a stillness that was suffused with a sense of light or a sense of radiance. And afterwards, I actually went up to a couple of my friends, because like Cassidy's story, you know, I was in the midst of, it was at a youth gathering, a Lutheran youth gathering. So I was with, with a bunch of friends. And I went up to a couple of them and I said, wasn't that amazing? And their response was, it was very lovely. It was nice. Yeah. And at that point, that's when I felt some fear because I realized that something, there'd been some sort of gift given to me that wasn't given to everybody. But it's fascinating that I just assumed that there was this kind of miraculous moment and that we all would have felt it. Yeah. And, and it was only later that I realized that there was, a, there was this subjective quality yeah. to that. Well, I mean, it's so f interesting to hear you say those things because as you speak it, like, I, yeah, I, so that resonates exactly with kind of what happened to me, except I wasn't in a communal setting. So there was, I, I jumped immediately to fear because there was no one else around to ask if this was okay. And, and my, there was a stillness and I asked my question in a way that I guess, I was interiorly still, so I was able to actually focus so deeply on the question, whatever I asked, and then it was this response, and it really did feel like light was turned on. I like that. That's a great description. I've never sat down and tried to write this out. I probably should, but light, as you described, I also, I think what added to my fear was it wasn't just light, but I also felt that there was sound. So you were there singing songs. It was, you know, so there was music and I heard things. It was a, you know, it was a totally dead church, like quiet church. There was nothing going on. It was dark. And then all of a sudden it was light and there was sound. And I caught like around the flickers of the edges of my vision that there were, there was movement and there was, there were other things or presences and it just felt like, okay, I'm not alone. So imagine being 13, thinking you're alone and in the dark, and then all of a sudden realizing there's a party going on and it's loud and there's people and <laughs> and you're looking around going, no, I have to be losing my mind because when you look, all of a sudden it's not there. And so I, I resonate. There is a sense of like warmth and wonderfulness, but then it was, I didn't get to sit in that. I got to immediately jump into the, Kevin, there's something, you're going crazy kind of kind of feel that you described there. Well, what I find interesting hearing all three of our stories is that we all we all speak about both light and and if I can say it dark or at least some angst or some fear Cassidy in your story this sense of inauthenticity and right, uh, right. you know and so it's um what yep. what I'm taking away from that is the messiness of spirituality yes mm -hmm. the, you know, I don't know if there's such a thing as a, you know, and again, to use the dreaded E word as an unalloyed mystical experience. Right. You know, I think, I think we're, our encounter with the sacred is always going to be 
messy and imperfect and there will be be light and shadow there will be joy and and angst yep. and there will be there will be sound whether external or internal yep. and silence yep yeah so carl i really love what you said about authenticity and our experiences with silence are always going to be authentic to ourselves right because they're so individualistic, right? They're so um, just for us. And no matter how we try to describe them to one another, even in this, I can recognize it, but I can't feel it with you. I can't have that authenticity with you because it's yours. Um, and I think uh, being an authentic person and, you know, learning who my true self was and and being open to that um, you know, is it also a part of my experience? Because, you know, like I said, I, I was a late bloomer and um, I was confused and, and trying to figure out, you know, my sexuality and things like this. Um, and I was being taught by the church, you know, this this whole love the sin or hate the sin thing um, and, and very specific teachings on LGBTQ people. Um, and so that's something of myself that I continually push down, right? So the lack of me being my authentic self, um, I think to some degree hindered things, but I think it also gave me the experience of this deep curiosity, this deep questioning, um, because I wasn't, uh, fully who I was, I would say at the time, um, I was becoming that, uh, and to some degree we're always becoming that, but that authenticity I think is a huge piece to our encounters and experiences with silence. Right. So I think there's so much more to say, but I, we might have to uh, wait until next time uh, to continue on. Uh, and we, because it seems like there is so much more to unpack here and we're clearly not done. So, but I'd like to thank you for the conversation today. Always a pleasure. for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, www.encounteringsilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Finally, if you wish, you can connect with us personally at our own websites, CassidyHall.com carlmccoleman.com or kevinmichaeljohnson.com